Well, good morning. It's wonderful to have you here, and we do wish you a very Merry Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 17 in our time together. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look into the passage. Father, we, whatever we bring to this day in this service, pain, sorrow, hurt, complications, problems, we can have joy in our hearts because of Jesus Christ. His name is above all names. And we would pray, Lord, coming out of this service, that we will adore him, magnify him, and be lost in him and in what you have done for us through our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to commit this time to you, in Christ's name, amen. I have a brother who's really, really, really big into our family tree. And we, were, we got together in the summer, and he had, he's written the whole thing out. It, 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 he actually runs it back to the 1300s. For, for, to, and, and, and he's not interested in any part of the family tree, but the, the father of the father of the father of the father of the father to find out where this name Finkbeiner actually comes from. Because right? as you can imagine, you're thinking, like, what's going on there? And I got, my wife's brother is also in the family tree. So they're, they're like doing it on both sides. So they just give us the results. I don't do anything with it, but here are the results. But what I found is there's parts of the family tree that are really interesting. And it's, I learn about a character and I say, yeah, he's in my family tree. And then I learn about somebody else and I go like, oh, okay, he's in there too. I was always told, Finkbeiner meant finch bones, you know, the, the talon of the, the finch, you know. And so I try to make something of that. Well, my brother has done this run back, and he's found out it has nothing to do with the finch bones. It actually got perverted. It actually meant early on found beaner. And apparently, apparently there was this bean surf. He, he, he was a farmer that, 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 that raised beans. He ran away from his Lord, and when they finally found him, they didn't actually make him go back because they had a rule at that time. If you were gone for a year, you got your freedom. But they called him the found beaner. And here I am today. <laughs> I mean, you know, wow. It's, it's a little, I mean, a little disappointing. I mean, you, you have to live with these things. Some other sad parts, I, I found out that one of my distant relatives um, actually killed two of his two-year-old boys and almost killed my grandfather. Uh, but my grandfather ended up hiding, and then they put him in an insane asylum. And all. Yeah, so you, you know what it's like, right? You, you look back, and there's things that are kind of funny, and, and there's other things where you're like, that's oh, really sad. And I, I found out that, that I also have an ancient re a relative. I, I, next time I'm over in the area of Zurich, I don't get over to Zurich very often, but, but apparently there's a, there's a museum there with one of my relatives. He, he was holding the banner in the, in the army where the, in the battle where, where um, Zwingli got killed. He held the banner and held it high and didn't, and the whole story around that. So I, I applaud that, you know? So, so we have all these, you would find the same thing in your family tree, wouldn't you? You'd find things you go like, yes, and other things you go like, really? And other things that would make you sad. What I want to do today 
is I want to walk through a family tree. Actually, a branch in a family tree. And it's Jesus' family tree, where he gets united with Joseph. Um, now, look, you're going to have to work with me here, so, so let me talk you through this, because you're saying, really, Finkbeiner? You're going to read some 40 names to us today? Honestly, if I tell you I want you to start having devotions and reading in the Bible, who starts in 1 Chronicles 1? Do you know what that is? It's just genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. Nobody does that, right? I, I tell you to start in Matt. Well, here we are, Matthew 1. But, you know, I normally tell, we tell you to start in Genesis or in the Gospel of John or something like that. But, but think about this. Matthew is writing a book probably in around the 60s in the first century. He's largely writing it to Jews. And this is where he starts. Now, th- there's a variety of genealogies in, 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 in the New Testament. There's really two. There's one in Mark and there's one in Luke. And I, I, I'm not going to go through this in detail with you, but, but where they're placed and who they start with and all that kind of stuff, they're, 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 they're quite, they're, they're different the way they're organized together. They, they complement each other, but they're different how they're actually organized. And so it's always fascinating to me, why does Matthew start here? First words out of his mouth, they're pretty important stuff, isn't it? First thing he's going to say here, and I'm reading from the ESV, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, that's an interesting way. And then from verse 2 all the way down through verse 16, he's just going to describe a part of the genealogy. And then in verse 17, he's going to give a summary. So, what's he doing? Why would you start your book like this about Jesus? Like, what are you getting at? And I want you to stay with me. He starts out by saying this in verse 1. Here's his summary statement. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. When, when you see the word Christ, you normally think that that's just kind of another name for Jesus. It's not. It's a title. Jesus is his name. Do you know what Jesus means? It, it's, it's named Joshua from, from, from the Hebrew. It means God saves. So first thing I want to tell you about, I want to give you a record. I want to give you a genealogy of God saves Christ. That's the title, Messiah. I want to talk to you about the Messiah, who is the God who saves. Who's connected to Abraham, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he's connected to David. So that's where he starts, summary. Then he's going to kind of walk through this genealogy, and I'm going to read it, so you're going to have to stay with me, okay? Kids, stay with me, all right? We're going, to, we're going to read right through it. I'm going to read rather quickly, but I'm going to read through it, all right? And we're going to come to the summary. But here's what I want you to do. There's this expression. You see it um, on, on the PowerPoint there. I want you to identify, as I'm reading here, additions to the fo- fo- following formula. Here's what you typically find when you're reading through this. And blank was the father of, or perhaps your translation says begot. Either one's fine. And blank was the father of blank. And we're going to read that 
a lot as we go through here. What I want you to watch for is when he gives us additions to that. Because it's in those additions that he's saying, hey, don't forget this one when you think of all these people. Okay? So we're going to kind of walk through it. And whenever we find those kind of additions, I'm going to stop for a moment and going to say, hey, I wonder why he put that in there and talk about it a little bit. And we're going to kind of walk through this stuff over about the next 15 minutes. Boop, 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 go, go right down through it. And then we're going to camp out in the summary statement in verse 17. And we're going to find out how that should change our lives. Matthew obviously thought it was important. It's where he started. Okay. Let's start reading. And I'm reading from the ESV. And hopefully I've got all these marked. If, if, if there's something I miss... You can go beep, beep, or no, don't say anything. Just tell, tell me afterwards. I, I think I got them all. So we're going to start out. You notice he starts with Abraham. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Because Abraham was given a promise that through Abraham's seed, guess who gets blessed? All nations will get blessed. Luke, in his genealogy, goes all the way back to Adam. But for, for Matthew, he's thinking, I don't have to go back that far. I don't want you to miss the Abraham thing, though. So that's where he starts. Now watch as he works through here. Let's look for those additions. Here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Okay, I got it. Helpful. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. Okay, here we go. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. See the first edition there? And his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, because they were, they were twins, by Tamar. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. You know one of the things you'll find as you read through here? You will find that there are five women mentioned in this genealogy. Okay? And all I put up there is their nationality, and sometimes there's a kind of a scandal associated when sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not so clear. And so, but I want to kind of group this together. So, so he's moving through this, but you know what? This really holds me in here because I like to move a lot more, but okay, I'll just try to stay here. I don't like to stand, as you know. I like to move around. So he's saying, okay, he had him and he had him, and then he comes. Why does he say the father of Judah and his brothers? We don't know exactly, but here's what I would want to argue. I think from the get-go, God is saying, I am going to bless all nations by building this nation Israel out. And so what you find is Judah and all of his other brothers. So what we have is we have the 12 men, who are the tw these 12 brothers, who are going to represent the 12 tribes of Israel itself. Isn't that great? So already in this story, he's saying, God is faithful to his promises. He's beginning to grow the nation. The problem is Judah. You know what Judah does? Judah has three boys. We know this from Genesis 38. And all of them are wicked. And so God kills the first son. The second son, they had an interesting custom where you're supposed to um, raise up a seed for your brother who died. And he's so wicked, he won't even do it. He's killed. And there's only one boy left, and Judah's thinking, like, well, he's wicked too, so I don't know. I'm just going to kind of protect him. So he takes Tamar, who was the wife of his first son, and says, 
Uh, I'll let you know when we're ready for you to be with my youngest son. Go. And she comes up with a whole scheme after a while, realizing nothing's going to happen here. Jacob's, uh, Judah, I'm sorry, Judah's wife dies. He's, he's heading up north one time. Tamar acts like a prostitute. He ends up sleeping with his own daughter-in-law who gets pregnant and has these two boys. Why would you put that into this story? Why can't you just say in Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, and forget the by Tamar deal? And you know what we find out, folks? Already, as God is building a nation, there is, a, there is this man by the name of Judah that says, look, I know God wants to do the seed thing through me and build it. But you know what? Because of all these problems I'm having with my son, forget it. And God says, no, 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 you won't forget it. I will accomplish my purposes even through your wicked, sinful act. You will not stop the purposes of God. You have failed, but God will accomplish his purposes. Wow, all we're doing is reading a genealogy. And these additions are talking to us about a faithful God and an unfaithful people. Boom, just like that. Okay, let's keep right reading. This is not everything I expected, but here we go. And Perez was the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Abinadab. And Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Are you getting bored? Stay with it. And see, we're in a routine now, aren't we? And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And you go like, well, that's kind of interesting. Where'd that one come from? What do you know about Rahab? Would you want your son to marry Rahab? She was a prostitute. She was an outsider. She was not a Jew. But because of her faith in Jehovah God, this prostitute is not only brought into the nation of Israel, as a proselyte, she also becomes part of the very family that's going to lead to Jesus Christ. Do you see? It's through Abraham that God will bless all nations. And so you can reach outside and you can take Rahab and bring her in. And she's part of the people of God through which Messiah will come. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't stop there. Look at the next. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Ruth. Now, at least she wasn't a prostitute. But she was a Moabitess, for heaven's sakes. She was an outsider out there. And again, because she was a person of faith in Jehovah God, she's brought into the people of God. And it's through her and Boaz that David will come and Jesus will come. Do you see? And, and so we're just reading a genealogy. I mean, Matthew, just like give us the, all right, I'll give you the names. And Matthew says, no, 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 no. I want you to know these insertions. 
Whenever you see these insertions, you're going to see just how big God is. His desire for all. His, his faithfulness in spite of people's unfaithfulness in the process. Look at verse 5b. Now we're back to it again. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, see the addition here? The king. Nobody else gets that name in here. David, you could have just said, David, we know who you're talking about. Everybody knows this story. Go back to Ruth, you see the genealogy. No, no. David, the king. Saul was put to the side. And God put in place a man after his own heart by the name of David. And you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it is through that king, David, that God says, I will make a covenant and I will ultimately bring the ultimate king through which I will change the world. Comes to David, the king. Is David stellar? Not exactly. Look at what it says next in verse 6. And David was the father, father of Solomon. Just stop with that. Please, Matthew, stop with that. Matthew says, I can't. I got to add something in there. By the wife of Uriah. Hey, at least you could have called her Bathsheba, for goodness sakes. That was her name, you know. Matthew says, I want you to know something. David was not a perfect king. David was not a perfect man. David was the man through whom I will make a promise of a coming Messiah. But don't think he's stellar. Because he kills a man after sleeping with his wife. Loses a son from that. Actually loses four. But out of that union... God in his sovereignty chooses to bring Solomon. I'm sobered. I'm hurt by David. But I rejoice in a sovereign God whose purposes will never stop. Do, 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 do you see? This is, you say, think about this. This is just merely a genealogy. You're going like, holy mackerel. These additions are unbelievable, aren't they? These insertions begin to, we go like, Wow. What else do we see? Now, stay with me. Because there's nothing until verse 11, but I'm going to read it. Look at verse 7. Solomon, well, actually, th th this, I, I do want to come back to it. But anyway, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, all these kings, all these kings from David, right? Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. Here we go. Look at verse 11. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers. There's another addition. Here's another one. At the time 
of the deportation to Babylon. You know what he's saying? It's interesting because there's other guys involved there around the time of Jeconiah. But Matthew says, let me group them all together as Jeconiah and his brothers. You know why? Because all of the kings at the end, right before the nation, the northern nation, is exiled into Babylon. All of the kings are evil. David was a righteous king, a flawed righteous king. And then you had some good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings and you got more bad kings as you got along. And by the, ten, by the end, all he says is, look, Jeconiah and all those other guys around him, whether it's his father or his uncle, his kinsmen, the whole bunch of them were evil. And so the nation was sent into, in, into exile. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, most of these names you will not find anywhere else. But keeping the names was very, very important to Jews, especially of of significant individuals. They would often keep it in conjunction with the temple that was still existing at this time. And so here are the names. Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Elikam, and Elikam the father of Azor, and Azor, Zadok, and Zadok, Akim, and Akim, Eliud, and Eliud, Eliezer, and Eliezer, Matthan, and Matthan, the father of Jacob, verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph. Now, now folks, here's what I'm expecting. And Joseph, the father of Jesus. That's what I'm expecting, aren't you? Right? I mean, isn't that the pattern? Look at how this thing breaks. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, and look at, look at how we get to Jesus. The husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. It is from this text, other texts in Matthew, other texts in Luke, other texts in Paul, that we we get what we call the virgin birth of Jesus. Actually, it's a misnomer. We shouldn't say the virgin birth of Jesus. Think, partner, what are you saying? We should say the virgin conception of Jesus, right? Now, when, when Jesus was born, she was still a virgin, but she was only a virgin... It was only a virgin birth because Joseph chose not to sleep with his wife until after Jesus was born. That's why it was a virgin birth. But this was a virgin conception because of God. Do you see? Does that make sense? I don't know if I, hopefully that made sense because someone's going to think about it doesn't believe in the virgin birth. Of course I believe in the virgin birth. But the, the miracle is a virgin conception, which leads to a virgin birth. And, God, and, 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 and as he's giving us this genealogy and we're unpacking all those things and we come back down to Jesus, he says, I just want you to know that yes, there's a connection, but the connection is not directly to Joseph. Because Jesus Christ had to be both God and man, 100% God, 100% man, all at the same time. How do you pull that off? Only God can. And so that egg in Mary 
is fertilized and a child grows there, a true human, truly human, but not so connected to, to, to Adam to be a sinner like you and I when we're born. So different, fully human, but not at all a sinner. And still, as Luke says, holy God. Jesus is the God-man. It's an amazing thing. Okay. He comes to verse 17. And look, notice what he says here. I love this. Matthew says, I'm going to group this stuff for you. Stay with me. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. And from David to the deportation or the exile to Babylon, 14. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14. Do you have a question when I read that? Don't you think to yourself, what's the big deal in 14? Don't you? I mean, I do. I wouldn't go like, okay, whatever. Because there's actually some people missing in the gene. If you, if you tra- track the kings from the book of Kings and you track it here, you'll find out there's a couple kings that aren't put in here. And one of the things Matthew is doing is he's grouping this in such a way to make a theological statement. Because here's the question. Matthew, what's the deal on 14? And although there's, there's a lot of debate on this, let me give you my take on it. This may sound strange to you, but it did to them. In the ancient world, they did sometimes what they called Gamara. Pronounced different ways, but we'll just leave it like that. And, and, and what you would do sometimes is, rather than giving somebody's name, you would have like a, a numeric value to that. So if, if my name was Ab, Ab, you say, that's not a name, I know, I'm just trying to make this simple. What letter of the alphabet is A? Not a I'm, I'm not trying to be tricky, I'm just asking you. What, what's, what's the letter? One. B? Two. I could either come in and say, hi, I'm Ab, or I could come in and I could say, hi, I'm three. Because if you take one and add two, you come up with three. So when you see me next time, you can say, hi, Ab, or you can say, hi, three, either way. And sometimes, sometimes the Jews would do this number thing to point back to the actual name. It's very interesting in the Hebrew, David. You have the fourth letter, the sixth letter, and the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And when you add them up, what do you get? 14. And, and I think it's just another way for Matthew to say, look, as I give you this genealogy, and as we go from Abraham to David, and from David to the exile, and from the exile to Jesus, remember the Davidic king. Matthew is writing to Jews. Messiah has come. It's Jesus. Oh, wow, I went too far there. I didn't go that far. Let me go right there. Do you realize, as Matthew looks back over this genealogy, he says there's a story. Because he goes from Abraham to David to the exile to Jesus. You know what he tells us? Matthew is writing to Jews and he's saying, when you think of our story, go back to Abraham and remember the promise given to Abraham. Through Israel, 
blessing to all. Promise. When you think of David with all of his flaws, think of promise of a messianic king. And when you think of the nation, remember that the nation failed. And therefore, the judgment of exile. So here we are in exile. No hope. Those promises will never get fulfilled because we can't do them. That's right. That's right. God must become one of us so that his promises can finally become realized. Do you see that? And Matthew says, don't miss that. Abraham, David, exile, Jesus. Bold on him. Because that's where our hope is. And he says, when you look at those time periods in between those 14 generations. So when I say things like, uh, Judah had uh, his two twins through <clears throat> Tamar. <laughs> Remember... That it is a world of failure. But isn't that also true of your family tree? Isn't that also true of your life? Failure, failure. You, you go to the next generation, this peak. David, the king, and the very next genealogy, the very next entry there is he slept with Uriah's wife. Failure. And yet, a sovereign God is accomplishing his purposes. And he's continuing to expand his people. And even as they go into, in, into judgment, into exile, as James read today, Isaiah's on the scene in Isaiah 7 and 8 and 9 and 11 and all through his book and Jeremiah's throwing stuff in, Ezekiel's throwing things in, Hosea. I mean, you're reading it all over the place. These prophets are saying, I know we're in exile. I know there's no help. But I know when you look at the nation, it looks like a stump. But there's a shoot that's going to come off of that stump. Just a little shoot. And that shoot is going to grow. And that will be our Messiah King. And this tree will grow again. Do you see? Promise, promise, judgment for failure. Prophecy, pointing, pointing, pointing. And we were waiting some 14 generations. And the God-man comes. So let me say it like this. The God-man, King, has come to save us from our sins. Um, think about it, folks. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I was thinking about this this morning, and I, I don't mean to embarrass her, but I, I was thinking like, um, I don't know. I, am I happy my daughter is going back to Iraq? Yes and no. I mean, how would you feel? Part of me says, no, I don't like it. It's a little dangerous. I don't like the fact that I'm not going to see her for a while. But like, no. And, and yet, I said to myself, we, we know. We both, we all know. We all know this is God's will. There's no question the way God just worked out. We, we know this. We're just going to do it. I think like, 
I was, I was thinking, like, you know, God, why do you ask these things of us sometimes? You know what I thought of? What did he do? He sent his son to die for us. Jesus became one of us. Somebody had to change Jesus' diapers. I know, I know cloths. I know they use things a little bit differently. But somebody had, somebody had to feed him. Je Jesus burped. I mean, all the stuff, right? I mean, Jesus did all those things. I mean, why would you become so fragile? He had to become one of us to die for us. He had to be God for it to count. The God-man, King, is with us. So in the latter part of this chapter, he says his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is fulfilling the passage from Isaiah chapter 7. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see? Whatever problems and trials you, you're going through right now, because I know sometimes Christmas can be a very difficult time for people. I get that. You can never lose this one if you know Christ. This is the time when we think back in a special way. God became man to fulfill all of those promises with people who are failures so that I can be brought back into a relationship with him. If that doesn't push us to adore him, nothing else will. Do you see, folks? He became part of our story so that we could become part of his story. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is all about. Father, would you overwhelm us afresh with the wonders of Jesus? Lord, if we would have any dear friends or family members with us here today who have never bowed the knee, may, may they come to Jesus this day. Ask him to be their Savior and Lord, the one who has died for them and has risen from the grave for them. And in one moment, they will be ushered into the family of God. And Father, for those that know Christ as Lord and Savior, may we in a very fresh, in a very personal, in a very real way, may we be adored by the God who has loved us, the God who has become one of us. And in so doing, has begun to fulfill the promises from the Old Testament, which only you could fulfill. We rejoice that you brought us into your family, that we're reconciled, we're forgiven, we're blessed. We have people, we're people of great hope. Why? Because we know Christ. Lord, please, through your spirit, for your glory, overwhelm us with Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.